0: Um, let's go ahead and just get into it. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6. And as you're turning there, let me just recap for you where we've been, right? So we're in this series on King David. We've been in this uh, the entire semester. And We've gone through um, several different aspects of his life, and that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at essentially just highlights from his life. We can't cover the whole thing in this short amount of time, but we're looking at highlights from his life and learning things about God and things about our relationship with God whilst we look at David and his relationship with the Lord and him as king over the people of Israel. So over the last few weeks, here's some of the things, just like refresh your memory of where we've been and things we covered. So we started out talking about King Saul and how he was the king before David. We talked about Saul and David's relationship. Uh, Just last week, Regent preached on, not last week, last time we gathered together in this context, I guess. Regent preached on uh, David's relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan. We also talked about David's anointing as king, right? Being anointed as the king of Israel to come. If you remember, the last time I preached, we talked about types of Christ. And that's how we read the Old Testament and finding Christ in the Old Testament and um, seeing how uh, he's in every page of Scripture. So we talked about types of Christ. And then we've hit some of the famous stories of David, namely David and Goliath. We talked about that famous story that is known around the world, David and Goliath. We've covered a lot of things, and we've got a few more to cover. We're hitting some of the, the big pockets now of King David's life, some of the more famous things. And surprisingly, we only have like three weeks left of this series, which just blows my mind. I feel like we just started it. But, but here's the things we still have to cover. We're going to end up covering the Davidic covenant next week. We still have to talk about David and Bathsheba. And we have to talk about the end of David's life and um, how he passed and all the things in between that. So those are all things to come, but let's talk about tonight. What are we talking about in King David tonight? Um, we are talking about worship. We're talking about worship. And, I, and I am, I'm excited for this, obviously, one of them, because I'm the worship pastor of this church, right? Which means at some point in my life, I, I chose... To like worship, right? And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with leading God's people in worship and worshiping uh, God myself. Um, so clearly, I'm a little bit biased towards the, the subject of worship. Um, but another reason that this passage is so special to me, and I pray it'll be special to you as well, is this is one of the first passages I ever heard preached on worship. It was out of the Old Testament. It's one of the first ways I ever began to understand why i Should worship the way that I do. And it's a large conviction behind why we worship the way that we do in our church. And so I decided to call this Principles of Worship. There's like a billion different titles I could choose because we're in King David. But I wanted to talk about principles of worship, meaning what worship should be in its foundations. I can't possibly talk about it in one message, there's many. Many passages on worship, and I've talked about it before when we were in the Gospel of Luke, I hit it a couple times, and we've done a message back in 1 Thessalonians on worship, but tonight's going to be a little bit different because we're learning basics of how we interact with God and how God desires to be interacted with in worship. And so our points tonight are going to be something that worship is and something we should respond to and something we should do alongside it. David is a perfect example of worship because he lived his life in worship to God. We're going to see that in this passage, but we've talked about it, the Psalms. Like David wrote many of the Psalms, the things that inform our worship, like the, the written worship of God's people. I mean, he wrote a large majority of those, and we get to see his relationship with God in that way. So, That's what we're talking about tonight. Let me give you some context before we actually just dive into the middle of an Old Testament book, right? So here's what's going on since we last saw King David. When last we met and talked about King David, we discussed the relationship and friendship that he had with Jonathan, Saul's son. And Regent sort of used the launch pad of the very beginning of 2 Samuel because that's where David laments over Saul and Jonathan being killed, that his best friend dies. And he laments over them, um, but then he's sort of left with this, this conflict, right? Not only did the, the man that he knew as king of Israel die, his best friend died, and now David is left to pick up the pieces and to take on the mantle of being the king of Israel. What we see at this point in time is actually a little bit of turmoil. Not everyone recognizes David as king, so if, you, if you're a history nerd at all, if you know anything about Israel, um, they have like these different ways that they label Israel history. They call it the United Kingdom and the Divided Kingdom. The United Kingdom is like King Saul, King David, King Solomon. It's when all of Israel was together. And then later on, they sort of split and they have two different kings. If you've ever opened the book of first and second kings in the Bible, that's sort of what that's going over is like the different kings that took place in, in northern Israel and in southern Judah. Um, but actually... Historians don't talk about this much. Israel was divided right here. Like For this very short amount of time, even though this is the united kingdom of Israel, uh, they're not united. They actually have two kings for a little bit. And what we see is that right after Saul and Jonathan die, um, David becomes king of Judah. You're like, well, I thought he was going to be king of Israel. He'll get there, right? But he becomes king of Judah, which is the southern part of Israel. Imagine it just like two states that form one united people, right? So he is the king of the southern Israel, Judah, and then there's like northern Israel, like true Israel is what they call it in the land, and someone else becomes king. And so over the next couple chapters, what we see is that um, eventually, through a lot of death and murders and things like that, David does become king. He becomes king of united Israel, of both Judah and Israel, and they eventually recognize him. And if you're flipping through those chapters at the beginning of 2 Samuel, you'll sort of see that's what's going on, is that eventually David becomes king. But I want to point out something really important here before we get into the rest of the passage, and that's David's person in all of this. You know, I said through some death and some murders, David became king. One of the things that we could take a whole message on is how David responded in these things. The type of man that he was, because david didn 't murder anyone in fact, even though there was a couple people murdered that benefited David in becoming king, he actually punishes the people that, that do it, and he forsakes that, and he still grieves over the men that were killed, like David is a man of God through and through it 's that character that causes the people of Israel to, to love him. actually, we see it like if you 're looking at second Samuel there in five ten it says that David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Like in this time, he received the favor of God in a way that caused the people to love him, in a way that caused the people to to honor him and to, to know who he was. And I think that's really important because now what we're about to see is not only did David win them over and lead them in being a man of God in character, but he led Israel and being a man of God in worship and worshiping the Lord and standing before God himself and then leading the people of Israel in that as well. So that's what's going on right here is that um, David is king now and he's got some stuff to do. And right here at the beginning of chapter 6 is where we're going to start. So lately I've been letting you guys um, just read to yourselves and then we come back together and I explain it. But I'd like to read this together. I know it's a little long, but this entire story is really important. So I'm going to read it over you. Why don't you just follow along with me as we go through 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him. From Bel Judah to bring up from them the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Now let's just stop right there for a minute. The Ark of the Covenant. Some of you may not be familiar with that, you might not fully understand, or you might not have any idea why the Ark of the Covenant isn't where it's supposed to be in the first place. So, quick history there. The Ark of the Covenant was built by God's people after they formed a covenant with him and he, they became God's people and he said, you're going to build this Ark, right, which is essentially, if you want to think about it, it's, it's a very fancy box being carried on poles with some golden statues of angels on it, right? If you're just trying to to imagine it. And inside it, they put the law of God. And God said, wherever this is, I am going to be. This is going to bear my presence. Now, does that mean the Ark of God, the Ark of Covenant, like trapped God or anything? No, absolutely not. But it was God's way of showing the people of Israel that he was among them. They would take the Ark of the Covenant into battle before them. They would see it um, destroy armies. They would see the blessing fall upon whoever had the Ark of the Covenant. At one point, the Ark of the Covenant was taken. It was taken out of the people of God. There's this whole story. You can go back and read it. I find it a little comical because the people that took it They didn't like having it. God didn't like them having it. And so what they end up doing is they essentially put it on a cart and they roll it down the hill. And they're like, all right, that's back to Israel right there. So that's that's the general story. There's a lot more detail to it, but you can go back and read that at any point. But they take it in the cart, they push it down the hill, and then these guys on the edge of Israel are like, hey, yeah, this is the Ark of the Covenant, we'll take it. So then it just sort of sits there during this whole thing, right? Saul doesn't really care about it because he wasn't a man of God. And so it's just sitting there. And David, as a man of God, is like, I need to reestablish worship in Israel. And now that Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the city, he's bringing it into Jerusalem. So that's what's going on right now. You got a little bit better of an idea. Now let's get back into it. So um, it's on a new cart, okay? And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving this new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Now I'm in verse 5. And David... And all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor, that's a place where they did harvesting. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah, put out his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it for the oxen had stumbled. Remember, it's on a cart, right? It's on a cart. It's being pulled by oxen. And it says it stumbles. And, and what does he do? If you, if you see the ark of the covenant, the thing of God's presence fall over, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to stop it from falling. Your phone almost falls off the table, and you try to stop it from falling. So let's talk about the thing that is supposed to mark the presence of God. It's falling. This man reaches out and touches it. But then it says, what does it say in verse 7? It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. If you were to look down in your Bible, if you have little footnotes, it means the breaking out against Uzzah. So, like, literally the place is named after the fact the guy died there, right? That's the concept. So, and David was afraid of the Lord, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So he's afraid at this point. He's like, how can I ever bear the ark? This just, like, I I can't fathom having this thing around me. It just killed this man, right? So, and the ark remained in the house of uh, Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. We're going to stop right there. Sort of funny, right? David's like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. And he just finds out, hey, Household's being blessed. David's like, I'm doing this, I'm taking this now, right? That's how it seems. That's, that's the, the concept here. But um, really, what we see here in this passage is our first principle of worship. And the first principle of worship uh, tonight is that worship is serious. Worship is serious, so take it seriously. I know, pretty simple point, but let me explain myself here. Um, it seems sort of weird, right? Especially in our modern context. Um, how many of you at least would, would agree it seems sort of weird that a man who is trying to stop the Ark of the Covenant from falling, maybe breaking, would die for trying, right? For trying to protect the things of God. It seems weird to me when I read it. It's not something that, especially in a modern reading, we can fully grasp right away unless we have a good context of what the Ark of the Covenant represented and what God said about it. If you remember, what I said about the Ark of the Covenant is that it's supposed to be carried on what? It's supposed to be carried on two really long poles. And the way it was carried is that, you know, someone would grab a pole, someone grabbed the other, and they, they would hold it like that, and there'd be others holding it, and they would go marching like they're carrying it along with God's people. And so we find out, though, in this that it's not on poles. What is it on? It's on a cart. So the Ark of the Covenant is not being carried the way that God commanded for it to be carried. It's not being treated the way that God commanded for it to be treated. It's not being respected the way that God commanded for it to be respected. And the people of Israel knew this. you got to understand, their entire like, entire culture was built around this God. Their entire culture was built around the Ark of the Covenant And the tablets that were in it, the law, like this is literally what defined them as people. Their father Abraham was going to be blessed by God. They descended from him. And then after they were led out of Egypt, like this thing is what brought them together as a nation. So they knew this. They didn't forget it. They know. They were raised hearing the stories of the Ark of the Covenant. And so why do I say that somehow this relates to worship being serious? I say it. Because what this shows is that God has ways that he desires to be worshipped. God has ways that he expects his people to worship him. God has ways that he wants to show us and establish his holiness. What do I mean by holiness? I mean that God is set apart, that he's not like us, that he's pure when we are not, Right? that he's holy, set apart, and pure. That's, that's really what you can think about when I use the word holy. Like God wants to show us that he is these things. That's why he has them build this ark. That's why it's gold-plated. That's why they have the temple that they create eventually. That's why they have the tabernacle and the tent and like all the incense and all the different things placed in different areas and used in different ways because God is particular about the way he desires to be worshipped because he wants to show us that he is different. He wants to show us that he is worthy of a different type of respect. He wants to show us that he is worthy of a different type of worship. God is concerned with his holiness and us understanding his holiness. And so, when the Ark of the Covenant is being mistreated, being handled poorly by the people who are charged to handle it, God is going to show exactly what it means for his holiness to be disrespected. And so, yes, it seems drastic that this man would die for trying to catch the Ark of the Covenant. But that should show us how drastic the Lord's holiness is compared to us, how great it is. I, I heard this analogy once that, like, um, if you were to, to scratch a car, like, if you were to go out into the parking lot and you were to, to like, take a key and scratch a car um, and someone called the cops, you'd probably get in trouble, Right? Um, a fine of some sort, um, and then I was told to think of it this way, that if that car was a 2004 Honda Civic versus a 2023 BMW some sort of other, I'm not a car guy, okay, there would be different amounts of punishment and different amounts of fines and different amounts of uh, crime committed because the value of what you committed the crime against, correct? Correct. Like, there's value in that. It's evaluated. So they said, take that principle. We understand that principle. That the greater value of something we break, the greater the crime is. Take that principle and magnify it to a holy and infinite God. That when we go against him and we break what he's done, how much more infinite is the crime? So one of the ways that we can help understand his holiness. And so I wanted to start out by how this passage starts out and telling us that worship is serious and so we should take it seriously. And what I mean by that is that we shouldn't be flippant about it. We should respect the God that we worship. Now, I don't want to just like leave you scared and like not knowing what to do, right? I want to also encourage you so... Um, When I say that we should take it seriously, I I, I don't mean that we should uh, come in timidly and fearful to worship because Ephesians actually says, if you want to write this one down, Ephesians 3.12, that's what I'm about to quote. I'm just going to read it to you. Ephesians 3.12 talks about Christ and it says, In Christ, in whom we have boldness and we have access with confidence to God through our faith in him. It talks about how Christ gives us boldness and confidence to approach God in a new way, right? To approach God in a way that Uzzah could not approach the Ark of the Covenant. Like, we've now been given that permission to come forth and worship God and to be in his presence in a way that the people of Israel at that time could not be in. And so I want to encourage you that I don't mean that you should like come in here crawling on the floor, afraid to even mention God's name and be like, I don't want to die if I mis- misworship him. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you shouldn't take it flippant. You shouldn't treat it lightly. You should come in with respect to the Lord to worship him. Now, right now, I'm talking about actually singing praise to him. I'm going to get to other worship in a minute, right? But context of singing praise to him, that's how we worship here together as a community. Don't take it flippant. Take it seriously. Prepare your heart for it. Think about it. Maybe spend a moment, as the music's starting, to just reflect, to pray. I mean, these doors are open, but... 20 minutes before everything starts, you can come in here if you want, spend some time in prayer, you can get together with some friends, sit in your car in the parking lot if you just need some silence first, prepare your heart for it, just take a moment to take it seriously, because what this passage reminds us is that God takes it seriously, he takes his holiness seriously, and that's what we come to worship, him and his holiness and what he's done for us. So that's the first point, worship is serious, so take it seriously. If you have any more questions on that, like I said, I'm up here after the message, I'd love to talk to you. Let's head into the second one. I'm going to give you the second point, and then we're going to read through it, right? second point is that worship is passionate, so worship passionately. Now, here's the reason I want to give you the first point. The next next two points, there's just three points tonight. The next two points are taken out of the same passage. It sort of goes back and forth, right? So let's read it together in this context, right? That worship is passionate, so worship passionately. We're going to start back. um, Let's go in verse 13, all right? Verse 13. So David's like, yeah, I'm taking this ark now. I'm back. I'm ready. Verse 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps... Let's stop right there. We're already stopping, right? What's the difference immediately? You notice the difference? They're bearing the ark. It doesn't say they're rolling it. They don't say it's on a cart. It's like they learned their lesson. Oh, we should probably carry the ark of the covenant. And so it says, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps... He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. So David sacrifices this ox, right? It's a way of worshiping the Lord. Sacrifice is commanded. And David, right here, verse 14, and David danced before the Lord, and in my Bible underline, with all his might. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David is wearing a linen ephod. Like a way to expect that is like undergarments, basic wear, right? And In our day and age, you can consider it more like Uh, wearing your athletic clothes, like your gym clothes into um, a ball, right? It would be very out of the ordinary for you to do that or like wearing gym clothes to the prom or something like that, right? Like that's out of the ordinary. You shouldn't expect, especially from a king, A king who is supposed to be leading his people is wearing something that would be unbefitting in the world's eyes. We'll get to more of that in a minute. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark, this is verse 15, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So not only does David worship passionately, right, he worships with all his might, but what does it say? It says the whole house of Israel worshiped that way, shouting and with the sound of the horn. So, and as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who David was married to, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. We'll get to that in a minute. And they brought in the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So here again, more offerings, more sacrifice. He's dancing, he's worshiping, he's sacrificing. Verse 18, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among them all the people, the multitude of Israel, both men and women, bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins, each one. That's good eats, okay? Think about that. Like, I know, you know, like, trust me, it's good eats. That's what he's handing out. He's handing out good food to them. Then all the people departed each to his house and David returned to bless his household. Okay. And uh, but Macall, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants. So she's saying my servants. That's that's her way of saying you uncovered yourself in front of my servants. Right? You were wearing your underwear. You're wearing your athletic clothes in front of my ladies that serve me. I don't appreciate that. That's what that's what she's saying. As one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself, a.k. you're acting like a drunk. You're acting like somebody that was trying to get the ladies. That's what, that's what she's accusing him of. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of Israel. He's pulling on the king card, right? And I will celebrate before the Lord. And here's verse 22. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. Meaning, I will belittle myself in your eyes to worship the Lord. I will look small and meaningless to you if it means that I'm worshiping my Lord the way I'm supposed to. That's what he's saying to her. And then he says, but by the female servants of whom you've spoken, by them I shall be held in honor and call the daughter Saul and no child to the day of her death. So she's in the wrong. That's what we see here. She's in the wrong. She's accusing him of something. And uh, he shows her exactly how she's wrong. So how does this relate to our first point? And then I'll tell you how it relates to our second point. Worship is passion. You saw it time and time again. David passionately worshiped the Lord with all his might. What does that mean? Whole body, whole person, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Like he worshiped with everything that he had. And he did it in a way that led the people of Israel to do the same. He worshiped passionately. And so our response, pretty obvious. So we too, it's a principle, we should worship passionately. Now that might look different in our culture, right? That's why we're calling them principles of worship. We're not calling them exact models of worship. I'm not telling you that as uh, we start the music, when we sing praise, like as we start the music that after six beats you should stop and sacrifice something, I'm not saying that you need to make sure everyone just like strips down to their, their white t-shirts and stuff and just starts dancing in the moment, right? We're not modeling the specifics, but we are modeling the principles. And the principles are, in that day and age, that was how you worshiped passionately. That is how you dance. That is how you worship. That's how you sacrifice. That's how you showed respect and honor. Everyone brought out their symbols out of their house, like brought them out and started clanging them around, right? We have those things in our culture. We do. In our culture, when we cheer for something, immediate thing we do, right? We have that. We shout, we cheer. It is the exact reason why we clap between songs. We do not clap for the band. Please do not clap for the band. The band, I guarantee you, I'm on stage every weekend. We feel uncomfortable with it. It's not like my favorite thing in the world. But it is one of the things we've created in our culture is because we clap to celebrate the truth of the song we just sang, to celebrate the Lord. It's why we do it. When we see people come to faith, when we see people get baptized, we clap as a way not only to encourage the truth in there, but to, to thank God for what we see. It's just one of the things that we naturally do to worship the Lord. We have all these things in our culture, right? We sing passionately. We sing loudly. We try to sing songs we can all sing together. It's ways that we worship It's passionate, and I want to encourage you, think about the ways that cause you to express passion. That's That's the principle. How do you express passion? And on top of that, are you doing that to the Lord? If the way that you express passion is through this type, and yet the Lord is separate from that and never receives that type of adoration, are you passionately worshiping him? last point on this, before we quickly move to the last point, is just I told you that worship just isn't praise. It's not just singing. And I I don't want you to walk away from here thinking that the only thing David was doing here was what like we're doing here on Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. What else does David do? He brings in the ark. He does sacrifices. He's singing. He's dancing. But he also distributes food to his people. He provides for them. He takes care of them. He honors God by honoring them. He does what he's called to do. He's king now. He is the one they look to for provision, and he fulfills that role. How does David worship in the midst of all this other type of worship? How does David worship? By fulfilling the roles of what he's called to do in life. So I want to also encourage you we are called to things in life, we are called to make disciples. We're called to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also to love our neighbor as ourself. And I want to encourage you just as passionate as you worship here on Thursday nights and on Sunday mornings, so too should you worship passionately by taking care of those around you, both immediate, family, local, and global, taking care of the least of these, being concerned with the orphan and the widow and the child, being concerned with those that are impoverished, being concerned with those that are in need, like praying for them, taking care of them, meeting their physical needs. I want to encourage you to find ways to do that. One of the things I'm super proud of right now is our church is beginning to revamp those things. Like our outreach pastor is really working on building up our local partnerships again. And so I'd love for you to just keep your eyes and ears open over the next couple months as he's unrolling these things and and our church becomes part of them. But I want to stir in your heart now just a passion to worship the Lord besides just praise and worship and to see People's needs met, just like King David did here, all right? So worship passionately because worship is passionate. And here's the last one. I told you quickly because we've already read the passage technically, right? The last point is this. Worship is divisive is what I originally wrote. But you'll see here that I I decided to change it just a little bit. Will you go ahead and go to that third point there? Worship is for God. So worship God. I first went with divisive, and I think you can see why. In this passage... There's sort of this issue between husband and wife, right? Like he's worshiping, and it says that she despised him in her heart. She hated his worship. I mean, he knew immediately. King David knew that her servants respected and honored him. Like He could see that. He knew that that's what was happening. He knew the problem was in her heart. That's why it says she despised him in her heart. You can look back there, verse 16. David was leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She hated him for his worship. So you don't know the whole history because we haven't been able to cover all of it, but McCall comes from a different culture. She comes from worshiping different gods. She was actually, it's a whole thing, previously married to somebody that wasn't Israelite, came back, yeah, it's a, it's a whole, you can read through her history, but what you need to understand is she didn't love respect the Lord the way David did. She didn't even acknowledge him as God. She's hating him for his worship. And originally I put worship as divisive. Because there are times in your life. And you can probably think of some right now. That worshiping the Lord. Whether it's like actually in the sung praise. That like in, in the rooms that we gather in. Whether it be on Sundays or here on Thursdays. Or it's the worship of the Lord. Where like we're talking about doing his work among the people of this world. Like you can think of times that people have hated you for your work. People that have felt uncomfortable for the things of God being around them. People that have caused division because of the things that God stands for and the things that his worshippers stand for. I want to encourage you. This shows us right here that the worship of God is for God. It's not for anybody else. We're not worshiping for them to appease them. David wasn't worshiping for McCall. He wasn't worshiping to receive her approval, and he didn't get her approval. He was worshiping for God, and so I want to encourage you that when you worship, whether it's through sung praise or it's through action and deed, that you worship for God, and you worship God himself. Just a last encouragement to not let the world impact you, to not be ashamed of the people around you that are looking at you. I mean, let's, let's get super practical. To not be ashamed of what your voice might sound like in the person's ear next to you, okay? To not be ashamed of what it might look like if you did raise your hands and surrender to the Lord. To not be ashamed that if you need to, to get on your knees in surrender and just thank the Lord and bow to him as your king. But to also not be ashamed if it means that you pull your car over on the side of the road and you walk over to the person that's in need and you actually have a conversation with them and see how you can meet those needs. Do not be ashamed if you had plans to go out to dinner with friends and you, you see something going on with another group of friends and they're having an issue and you're like, guys, you go out to dinner. I'm going to take care of this right now. I'm going to be Jesus to these people. Like, That's what I want to encourage you in is to worship God despite everyone else around you. That's the type of generation we need in this world. That's the type of generation that has propelled the church time and time again, generation after generation, decade after decade. I want to encourage you to be that person. I want to encourage you to be like King David. I want you to have those principles of worship established in you. So many more we could go over, but these are just a few. Some of the ones that I first saw um, when I was learning about worship, and I, I pray, I mean, many of you love to worship. I know I'm sort of preaching to the choir a lot here but I want to encourage you to incorporate these as the reasons why you do what you do, the reasons why we gather, the reasons why you sing, the reasons why you work for the Lord, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we got an opportunity to be in your word again. I pray over the next few weeks as we're in the Davidic covenant and we are in David's uh, sin with Bathsheba and we are just looking at the end of David's life, Lord, that you would continue to teach us all that is entailed with Uh, his life and how we can learn further principles of being in relationship with you and jesus i pray as we've talked about that we would continue to see um, types of you in the old testament that, that lead us to you you lord to our savior to the one who has paid the price for us and lord i pray for those in the room tonight that are struggling whether they have distanced themselves from you through their sin and shame, Lord, whether they do not know you, whether they're just, they, they want to know you more and they're just overwhelmed, Lord, I pray that you would cast all those things aside. I pray that you would bring them relationship and equip them uh, through your spirit, through your church, to know you and love you all the more and to worship you passionately, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.